Welcome to the Mars Review. It's a special episode today, I would say. I'll read the author bio and then you'll know why. Josh Gondelman is a comedian and writer who's earned two Peabody's, three Emmys, and two WGA awards for his work on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. He is currently a writer, producer for Jesus and Miro. His writing has also appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine, and the New Yorker. It's like the, the New York trifecta. Uh, nice Try is his debut essay collection. He lives in New York City with his wife and his pug. I am said wife. We've got a nice pug. We do have a nice pug. Hello. Thank you for Hello. having me, Maris. <laughs> thank you for being here. When you said this is a special episode, I was like, oh, no. Do I have cancer in this one? <laughs> oh, no. Someone, one of us gets kidnapped. So Alf is probably involved. Maybe yeah. he electrocutes himself. Yeah, and then we learn the dangers of alternating current or direct current. I don't know which current is more dangerous. You've already stumped me. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't mean to come here and quiz you about electricity. I was under the impression that your podcast was people asking you electrician questions. Is that not right? Um, Sometimes. Okay. But I think we should start with a question that I feel like I ask you every day. Yes. How great is our dog? Oh, she's so good. She's like very lazy uh, and very funny. And very soft. And I like all those qualities about her. And this morning, uh, after like oh, yeah. months of waking up at dawn, she mercifully slept until 7.20 this morning, which was incredible. Yeah, she so did. I'm in like an extra, extra loving, tender place with our, <laughs> our chubby little pug, Busy. She's a, a, a tiny little baby princess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's let's talk about your book, Josh. Sure. <laughs> How do you decide which parts of your life make for good comedy and good writing? Oh, that's what a good and interesting question that I've never been asked before, truly. Um the so a big one is like the parts I remember. That's like <laughs> truly and, and I don't mean that as like I'm in a blackout most of the time. <laughs> I just mean like stuff that jumps out as like, oh, I remember this and this was really interesting and it's stuck with me over years. Um stuff stuff that I remember having told people and enjoyed talking about yeah. uh, in the past. And then so that that's like tr- that's certainly one big part of it, is are are just the the stories that come to mind. And then after that, it's it, this book became a lot about kind of sculpting this narrative, like carving this narrative out of a from a series of stories, right? Starting with stories um, and creating this arc with them. So it it was partly me thinking of instances that fit this thesis that I set out. And your thesis is the thesis is it's it's. The mission statement was kind of showing the difference between being like a very sweet child, which I think I was uh, (laughs) most of the time, and then like not just being like a pleasant tempered adult, but being like a good person. And like, where does that differ? Where, what, when does like being nice prepare you for being good and how, when does it not? So that's kind of the area I wanted to explore and to show that growth. So it was like the stories I remembered, the stories that fit that theme, (laughs) and then uh, my editor, Stephanie, was really amazing about being like, this is this one is redundant. This one doesn't quite get to the point. Uh, and th- so culling 
the, the, do you call the good stuff or the bad? You know what I mean? Is yeah. it like when you separate the wheat from the chaff, which are you culling and which is the good stuff? I think you want the wheat, right? You, I get, yeah, you want the wheat. The <laughs> wheat's good. But then which, so do you call the chaff or do you call the wheat? Oh, Does I that make sense? Ah, no, 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 you don't have to answer this. I'm not asking you for answers. I'm asking so we can explore this. Okay, yeah, let's hypothetically, we know that we do want to find the needles if they're in the haystack. Yeah, right, right, right. So do are we, So let's say we're culling <laughs> the needles from the haystack. So we're culling the goods, the useful and and um and instructional and and exploratory stories from the stuff that's just kind of like fun and and doesn't get the same like emotional or thematic juice. Yeah. I mean, well, let's talk about, I, I too wrote about this topic of what makes you nice versus what makes you good. Mm -hmm. And you wrote about it in our wedding vows. Yes, I did. Your wedding vows. Well, I mean, it was my vow to you. Yes, 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 yes. It's ours. Yeah. And we, and then I wrote vows to you also. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, my pleasure. (laughs) But yeah, that that's that's kind of always been my beef with people who are like, oh, Josh is the nicest guy in the internet. It's like, mm, I don't know if you've ever seen his dark side, but he, he can be dark. That's I mean, that's true. There is like a dark side. But I also think that like, I don't know that there's, I mean, I think it's good to say when things are bad. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like it's, so that's like, it's not always polite and it's not always gentle maybe but I, I think there's like a goodness to being like this is really fucked up and I I I think I should comment on that and and that's I think an important part of being an adult and like a good adult and not just a person who's not and is like oh yeah it's it's all good all the things that happen like everything happens for a reason and it's and it's good and and sweet and beneficial and it's like well that's just not true there's a lot of things that like happen and they're awful and it's it's like not nice to be like that guy's probably cool you're like no he stinks yeah there are specifically many people who are awful there are many people who are awful and and i don't think you have to like pretend that like i I don't think there's any i mean i got into you we were on vacation you and i and i I argued too long with dummies on the internet because i had made some joke about the after the death of david coke Yes. Of, of the famous Koch brothers. And um, I said, you know, D- uh, David Koch has died in lieu of flowers. Please construct a shadow organization of shady nonprofits where you can donate to sway the course of American politics and uh, deregulate the environment so you can destroy it. And like yes. people were like, hey, a guy died. And I'm like, yeah. And when he was alive, he, <laughs> he was terrible. Sucked. Yeah. And that's to me, like, I think there's an Im- importance to doing that. And, you know, people are going, we as a family, are you going to show them the tweet? <laughs> and if nothing, fucking get off my dick. <laughs> <laughs> and so you did spend an ample time of our vacation arguing, which that's, yes. that's a flaw. That's, that's <laughs> wrong. Yeah. That's like not the good part. That's like the the darkness where I'm just like, I need to explain to every moron that just because someone is dead doesn't mean they were good or that like, like when is the time I would rather. And I, I said this to, yeah, to yeah. a lot of people, I, I would rather people speak ill of me after my death. It's like, did he not have relatives when he was alive? <laughs> if I, if I two weeks ago or three weeks, a month ago had been like, wow, David Coke seems like a bad dude who has 
really undermined American democracy. Do you not, people, he has a brother. And, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's also people are saying he has a brother and it's like, yeah, his brother, brother sucks, sucks too. too. <laughs> yeah. That's like so <laughs> preposterous to me. The idea of like, he has a brother and it's like, yeah, but his brother is also a bad person and still alive. So like, I would like him to feel bad. I would like him to feel anguished about his life. Why wait until his death to Yeah. Choose. But if you're if you're gonna speak ill of me, my point is <laughs> wait wait till long after I'm dead. And then don't say it directly to my loved ones and then we're cool. Uh, that's directed to the listeners, not to you. I, I mean, yeah, that would <laughs> you're be You're my loved ones. Um, I'd be so mad if someone talked shit about you to me. Yeah, they shouldn't talk to you about they shouldn't say bad things about me to you. And and you know what's even worse? Sometimes people will be like, Pugs are weird, man. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that either. Or when people, the the concern trolling about Busy's health oh. online, it's so bad. When people are like, is she breathing okay? It's like, that's how she breathes. What do you want me to do? Give her mouth to mouth? That's just how my dog sounds. You have to know that I know that. She, she's been on a diet since we've known her Yeah, for she's only years. been dieting. <laughs> And uh, she she's just a hefty lady. Yeah, she's she's thick, and she, that's okay. She's beautiful. She's very beautiful. Real pugs are cylinders. That's my <laughs> pug beauty campaign. Uh, she well, she's like a little pillow. She is like a little pillow. Ascension pillow. You said I do. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted me to say it to prove it that I say it. I mean, you can say whatever you... She's like a sentient pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Not to steal your lines. No, that's okay. Do you know, people ask me a lot if if I have seen your act enough, if I could redo Perform it, it. Perform it. Yeah. What do you say? No. Like, I understand there are parts of it that I know very well. Mm-hmm. But this is something that you practice all the time. That's true. This is something that you're thinking about. Every day. Oh, that's so interesting. What a thoughtful answer to that question and a flattering one, certainly. But like, because I think what they're, you know, what people mean is. Right. No, 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 no. I'm not. Again, (laughs) this isn't to instruct you. This is like for the listener. Because like what people I imagine mean is like, do you know these, like, have you heard these words backwards and forwards? They're like seared into your brain. It's like wrote to you to hear this. And your answer is so beautiful and thoughtful, which is like, even when I know the words, I am not a, I have never performed them and I am not practiced in it. So probably not, which is like such a, uh, that's so sweet of you to say that way. (laughs) Well, it's because I love you. Well, I love you too. (laughs) But that's also, it's like, sure there that's, but that's like a very thoughtful and, and, and loving answer. I mean, and and of course, I know all the punchlines. Sure, of like and, and and certainly part of standing backstage or or sitting in the audience watching you perform is is anticipating when the laughs are going to come mm-hmm. and making sure everybody around me is enthralled. <laughs> what do you do if they're not? Oh, I get mad. <laughs> <laughs> do you like a little shake of the fist? I mean, well, emotional eye daggers. Spiritually. <laughs> shake of the spiritual fist. <laughs> Do you use a different part of your brain when you write stand-up jokes versus when you write essays? Um, yeah. Probably. (laughs) I shan't say more. No, you must. The answer speaks for itself. No, you have to. (laughs) Fine. Um, (laughs) I think that there's, um, writing essays is more remembering and writing stand-up is more, um, can be more inventing. Uh, Uh Um, so because I think when there's, 
when there's an when you're writing an, when I'm writing an essay, part of it is remembering the funny parts, remembering the interesting parts, mining them for emotional uh, resonance. Like, how was I feeling then? What were these details? How did that affect me going forward? Right. What What was I thinking before it happened? Right. Those are all important things, and I try to get them right and not say the things that are convenient to make it like a more neat essay, right? A tidier essay. And then with stand-up, it is – a lot of it is, you know, you have to remember what happens. You can tell it. But it's also like if I don't, I don't feel I, – I feel much more liberty to play fast and loose with facts or fill in dialogue, you know, embellish dialogue to be funnier. Yeah. Um, like that. So it, it's – I think it's like remembering versus – yeah, remembering versus mm-hmm. inventing more. Hmm. Excuse me. Does that, that does that that's a, that, yeah, Of course. Yeah. And also there, I mean, there's craft to the, to essay writing as well, but the, the. It's just a different form of craft. Yeah. I'm trying to be, there's an, I, there's an honesty in what I'm trying to do on stage too, mm-hmm. but it's less of a factual honesty and more of like, I can come to the conclusion that I yeah. want and invent the facts that, that convey the feeling in a true way. Mm-hmm. Whereas in an essay, I feel more obligation to, be faithful to how things happened and then explain and explore the feelings that it led to those occurrences. Well, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. (laughs) How do you get it all done? I already know the answer to this. Like I, and I've, I've already given my answer to this in so many different ways, but let's break it down. You're, you are a full-time TV writer. Yes. You perform comedy I mean, five nights a week? I would say most nights. Most that, nights. That's like the balance. Like most nights. I would say more than half the nights of the year. You are a good pal. I'm See a, your friends. I try to be a good pal. Yeah. And, and you know, a, an excellent dog father and Thank husband. Um, how, do you, how do you do this all? I don't, how do you think I do it? Because you said you have an yeah. answer. I don't. And I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I forgot about that part. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That book. Uh, how the hell did you write this book while you were doing well, all mean, this you, other stuff? You saw that you saw because yeah. you were working, you were freelance for the bulk of the time that I was writing. And you would just stick your laptop on your stomach yeah. and write for four hours and have like 2,000 words. <laughs> 2,000 unready for publication words at but that still, time. But still, I got jealous. Oh I, my gosh. So that was – it. last year was really draining. Um, yeah. More above and beyond because I do a lot of things and I'm, I'm pretty – I have a pretty lucky brain in that it – goes and focuses pretty well. Yeah. And then when it's time to like boot down for the night, I do that okay too. So I can like come home and get into bed and, you know, goof off on my phone for half an hour and then and then be asleep. And and that's what that's my main point when when I try to explain how you and I are different. Yeah. It's that you're a true extrovert and I have the introvert thing where I need to be alone and processing my feelings and like sitting with myself and watching TV or reading or whatever it is um, after a long day. And you can just like pull the plug <laughs> yeah. on your day. I'm pretty good at it usually. And so that that is a big help. But last year was very professionally grueling for me yeah. because I was 
basically was writing the book from October of 2017, mm-hmm. writing the first draft, October of 2017 through the beginning of September 2018. Mm-hmm. So for those those 11 months, I most of the time was um, working Wednesday through Sunday at Last Week Tonight, mm-hmm. and then Monday and Tuesday, I would spend several hours working on the book. And I was like, I am so goddamn burnt out. Man, politics, uh, writing about politics mm. is really getting to me. And then I realized it wasn't till the end of last season of, of Last Week Tonight when, when I switched jobs that like part of what was burning me out wasn't just the reality of like engaging with um, American politics on a professional and personal level. It was also that the two my two days off, I was working yeah. like an additional part-time job and then plus stand up on top of that most nights. And so like I do, I also don't write well after I write. So like some people can go or write well before I write. So like some people can get up and work on a novel, you know, for like our friend Ryan Chapman yeah. would get up before he, I heard him on, on the show, right. Talking about how yeah. he would get up at 5am, write, and then go to work and, and have a day at his day job. Yeah. And I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I also can't, I don't do a good job of like, okay, I, I wrote for TV for my eight hour work day. Now it's 6pm and I, I'm going to sit down and write an essay for two hours before stand up. Or if I don't have a show, I just like am done when I'm done. Yeah. And and so I can do stand up because that is a fully different thing. It's like I'm performing, I'm engaged with people, but I'm kind of burnt out from the idea of like, well, time to just dive in and create new, you know, uh, (laughs) express new ideas in a fully new way. Like going on stage, at least I have like, oh, what did I say last night to an audience? Yeah. Um, So last year was like very uh, exhausting, but I'm really proud of what happened. I'm really proud of like a lot of the stuff we did last week tonight. I didn't do all of it. I think that's why I put it that way, you know. I'm proud of the stuff I worked on there. I'm, pr- I'm proud um, of all your coworkers. Yeah, and or... all the coworkers there. Um, I yeah, I'm proud of that season of the television show. Yeah, and I'm proud of the a book, and I'm proud of the stand up that I wrote. But man, it was like I'm in a period this year of where I work Monday through Friday at my day job at Jesus and Marrow, and it's awesome. And I have the weekends that are weekends, and I'm not writing a book during them. And it is just like I, ha- so it's. Yeah, so it's like I'm doing less, and it feels amazing. Oh, I'm glad because yeah. sometimes, sometimes you do have trouble doing less. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm still doing a lot, and I think you know yeah. we were away in places for, especially the, when we went on vacation, we were there for four days without a lot to do. Yeah. Um, for like the second time, which was like very restful, and we end up buying a Scrabble board and playing a lot of Scrabble, which yes, is wonderful. We did and because I didn't want to just like work the whole day because I had work stuff I could have been doing. Oh, the whole same. Day. Yeah, totally. We both did. Yeah. And, uh, but I do, I don't fully like, I, I'm not good at being like fully at rest for a long time. Well, no, I'm, and, and that's the, I mean, on our honeymoon, you're getting antsy. By the end. Yeah. <laughs> but I, especially because I like read three books in seven days and it was awesome. <laughs> I was like, this fucking rules. And then by the time I finished like the last book that I was like, you know, that I had dug into, I was like, and we didn't, especially cause it was like, well, I'm not going to start and finish another book. 
and we, you know, all we were, we were relaxing so much and it we was so nice. Really... And we had obviously like the pleasure of one another's company. It was so nice to just be hanging out with you. Yeah, um, but it's so stressful to know that we have to enjoy each other and relax. Yeah. Or, to, or like, <laughs> or that like all there is to do is like sit in a pool and look out into this beautiful caldera. And, and that was great. But then it's like, um, Okay. Well, what do we, yeah, like how long do we gaze? <laughs> what happens yeah, when we're done well, gazing? You have to look away at some you point. You got to look away at some point. And, and we, <laughs> and I mean, we like created ourselves structure, right? Like the yes. two of us, we were like, okay, at night we have dinner, then we relax in the hot tub, and then we, <laughs> uh, make sure we like watch something on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so we, we like created, the, the a night. little schedule. Yeah, a little relaxation schedule. <laughs> I do well with like regimented time, I think, even when it's relaxing. Yeah. If it's like, oh, let's take two hours and just read, I'd be like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's like you have all day and here are the five different relaxes that you have to do, I'm like, Ooh. what order? How? Why? <laughs> um, Sorry, I feel like I'm getting so rambly about this time management stuff. Well, I mean, it's it's my time too. So <laughs> no, I just mean talking about it. I, I, <laughs> I'm literally sitting here with you. Yes, I understand. I feel like I'm wasting your time <laughs> and the listeners. And, and we've watched more TV. I feel like yeah, we've yeah. definitely watched more TV this year, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, there's um, we've watched so many fun things. I'm really liking Superstore. Yeah, this is that's one of I think two long tenured show or uh, that's not true we've watched a few bob's burgers, bob's burgers we've watched was our first like was our a lot of episodes language. yes yes and um agreed and we've watched a lot of brooklyn 99 which is a long tenured show but like a lot of the other stuff we watch is like very limited season series, on right? netflix or yeah. something uh reptuka and birdie i know r.i.p i i hope they're back i hope they come back i hope so too um but we just you know it's very easy to commit to Six episodes of Los Spookies when yes. it's like you're not, you know, you're not behind by that much. You know that like you can finish this season in like an evening if you ha- if you like want to catch up real quick. I like I'm, I'm very I loved the show, but also I like that rather than like, oh, let's start Fringe. There's seven oh God, seasons no. of it or whatever of an hour long show. Yeah. And like it's going to take us six months to finish i i i don't know why that makes me anxious and you, I, I get anxious now and you know this um when the new season of veronica mars hit all yeah. at once yeah yeah and so there were six or eight hours of of new television to watch and i just didn't have the time yeah and, and i think in addition to I think we feel, because we've talked about this before, we feel extra much like everyone has seen everything that comes out the moment it comes out because we also do know a lot of people television critics. Yeah. TV. So like when on our Twitter feed, we know 10 people who have like written recaps of the full season of Veronica Mars. And have already like are onto their think pieces. And, and, and are yeah. Their... And are like, okay, the time for spoilers uh, or for protecting people from spoilers it's is over. over. Like, it's been on Netflix or Hulu or whatever for seven hours. That's like <laughs> enough time that if you started watching it when it came out, you would be just finishing now. <laughs> that's, that's the new spoiler time, I guess. Yeah. The, the amount of time it physically takes to uh, real time. Yeah. Watch real the show. time. Yeah. Real time. A lot of people are saying that Lana Del Rey is responsible for bringing back this this public interest in, in Sublime. Sublime. 
No, I disagree. I yeah, take full too. credit. Okay, um, I mean, I take full credit. Yes, you okay. take full credit. <laughs> okay, good. But I would say I amplified your good work in the sublime awareness uh, field. Yes. That's so interesting. When is this her first sublime cover, the due in time cover on this uh, album? Yeah. And and that just came out with the album, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah, I don't think it was. I don't. Right. Previously. Was there were there weren't like numerous demos floating around for years because <laughs> i feel like there's been a sublime wave for the last couple of years of like sub- sublime revisit someone wrote about it for the, for the ringer earlier this year yeah, Kate, yeah, Kate yeah. Nibs maybe yeah and um so it's like this has been percolating i feel like i feel like if anything lana del Rey is is um maybe cresting this wave in a very artistic and, and interesting way. But i don't think she started it. She's not the moon here. No, she's not i mean the moon is responsible for tides, right? I don't know why I'm fa- asking you to fact check all the inane things I'm saying. I feel kind of honored because I've never, not, maybe not never, but very rarely when I watch you work or I'm sitting across from you, are you doing like your full on, I'm Josh Gondelman and I'm a comedian. <laughs> right, dude, just doing bits. <laughs> just doing bits. Yeah, we're just doing bits. Just doing bits. I mean, and we, we have questions. our own book. We do bits. have our own bits, but, but it's, it's a different, it's, it's a different not, vibe. it's not professional bits. They're, um, personal bits. They're personal bits. <laughs> <laughs> they're pri- private bits, if you will. Private bits. That sounds like it's all sex things. It does, it does. But uh, we have other, we have private bits that we'll do in public. Really? <laughs> yeah, totally. There's stuff that we do like in public. Like it's not like inappropriate to do in public. It's just like it's not for other people to see. Right, right, right. They won't get it. The bits are hiding in plain sight. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about Mm -hmm. we've noticed, and and we don't have to name names. You and I. Yes. Okay. As readers. Yeah. That some comedians, when they write books, they really are kind of just transcribing their stand-up material Mm -hmm. onto the page. How do you avoid doing that? I, I, again, I, a lot of credit due to Stephanie, Mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie Hitchcock at Harper Perennial, um, for pushing me to not do that. And it's not, I mean, there are, there are a couple essays that are very, that hew very closely to things I've talked about on stage, but also those bits also lean towards being more essayistic, I yes. think. So, but it's not just like joke bits. And I, th- I think it's not interesting to me to write down jokes uh, because partly a lot of the fun of jokes is telling them. And- but there are a lot of comedians you love and admire and respect who do write down all of their jokes. Not, not even to be... Published. I'm like, oh, like, oh, 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 I'm I'm not against transcribing jokes for oh, okay. for to chronicle them. I just mean uh, to me, a book isn't just like I. My jokes are not constructed to live on a page. Yeah, I like write them to say them, and and sometimes I get in trouble because my essay writing is also written to be spoken. In a lot of instances, yeah, and like, and my, so. Oh wait, so we should stop and plug your audiobook. Oh yeah, 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 time. yeah, because that that is you reading your. I essays. did. I read the audiobook. Yeah, yeah, and and so so that gets kind of like a, a both. Um, you get the the stand up sense and the and the yeah. Sense. Well, I mean, I well, so I co wrote a, a humor book a few yes. years ago with my friend Joe Berkowitz, who's a wonderful author, and he writes for the page 
I think, especially at that time, was writing with intent for the page in a way that I was not necessarily um, because I wrote it to like, I was like, well, this is how I talk. So this is my writing style. Mm-hmm. So this is how I'll write. Yeah. And I think Joe was more experienced at like, he is a, a you know, writes as a journalist. journalist. Yeah. And an interviewer. And so he writes for people to read it who may never hear his voice. Mm-hmm. And even when I write for television, it's written to be said out loud, right? Yes. Like I wrote in literally in John's voice, not just his comedic voice, but like for his speaking voice. Yes. And and same for and Jesus and Mero. Everyone on staff at Last Week Tonight does an impression. Yes. Um and um, And none of them are accurate. None of them nobody are accurate. can do he's he has a he's really hard voice to do an impression because his his accent I think is really specific to him. And so it's like you're not just doing a British a, a British like you know there's there's no region that feels like it captures his whole accent. So he's very hard to do an impression of. And we all have everybody, you know, when they're, if you're trying to like write a bit or like recall something that he said, uh, everyone has their own terrible way of saying it that doesn't <laughs> sound like him at all. Um, and the, uh, and then Adiza Samira. Adiza Samira. Of course. Um, they, and, and so like to write for in a way that, that they're reading it and it, it sounds natural for them to like read it and say it. Yes. Um, so, so that all that is to say, Joe and I would do like author events and we would read from the book. And there was one, I think it was in DC that we did together that he read something that he had primarily written. You know, we wrote and we edited each other's yeah. work. Um, but there were parts that he primarily wrote and parts that I primarily wrote. And when he heard me read something that I had written mostly for the book, he went, Oh, that's how it sounds. Cause it yeah. is, it's like it plays so much better, which is like a, drawback because you don't always hear it but i think it it will make the audiobook fun to listen to because it is i write it to be like and then this and then that and then um you know like this and parent i i like i Ooh, also you do a good you thank you <laughs> i've got a lot of experience um i i don't have a lot of interest in like transcribing jokes as a book but i do write a book in a way as if it is a monologue sure in a way that i think is like in some ways is like, oh, that's your writing style. And then in other ways, it's like, I should be mindful that some people are just reading it with their eyes and don't have any idea what my voice sounds like. Oh, losers. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about other people who write books that um, are good. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I know. Lately, what have you been reading? Hmm. I... So a couple of things that I read and loved recently yeah. were uh, Read at the Bone by Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Woodson, mm-hmm. which was wonderful and beautiful. And it comes it out was. on the same day as my as my book as well. So I read The Galley, yes. which I loved mm-hmm. and wrote up a little bit blurb about it for Pacific Standard. Yes. Rest in peace, Pacific Standard. R.I.P. And, um, and then I gave it to you uh-huh. because you- Yes, so I I was on um, a part of Roxanne Gay's book club for the Vice News show on HBO, which I I think will have aired by the time this is uh, this podcast is listenable. But yeah, I I loved it. I read it in like two sittings. It was so beautiful, and it's also 
it I'm so jealous of people who do things that are nothing like the way I write where mm-hmm. like she gets she rings so much emotional impact mm-hmm. out of so few words like the book the book is under the novel was under 200 pages yeah. and just like every three pages I was like oh this is a different feeling and it, <laughs> it like it, it, it like hits you dead on and not in a um like a maudlin way in just no. a way that is like so sincere and so so economical with words. And I, I thought that was like so powerful and beautiful. Yeah. I I do. I I feel like she's really good at making a book that's less than 200 pages feel epic. Yeah. I mean, it could have been, it, it, I felt like I got 450 pages worth of (laughs) thoughts and feelings in 200 pages. Yeah. It's just like all in there. Um, and then, Previous to that, mm-hmm. prior to that, I had read um, I read mostly Dead Things by Kristen Arnett, and it's very beautiful, also and very dark and mournful, and also very like quirky and super visceral, visceral. very very visceral. Like, which literally. I'm a very squeamish person. I know, and this yeah. didn't. I don't know why this didn't You're put me okay. off because it's so there's so much taxidermy and like a lot of puking and like it's um. And a lot of bodily fluids. A lot of bodily fluids. Um, and I talked to – I got to interview Kristen at the um, at the library about yeah. it. And I, I did one question that was more of a comment, like a real dickhead. But what I said <laughs> was it felt like she was describing something real and the words that she used were exactly how it happened, which I don't know how I got – because it wasn't like it, – it was just so – so immediate i think the visceral nature of the book was a lot of it where it was like it didn't gloss over the gross parts and, no it and, really really sat with it yeah and like kind of like waded through it yeah. and it was really so it just felt to me like oh you're it it didn't read like nonfiction, like it's a beautiful novel yeah it is but it felt as if she were like observing something true and describing it just exactly how it happened where whereas and the difference is not to say that like to put it in contrast with red at the bone which also felt very true and emotional but because you got such like brief snippets like the chapters Mm -hmm. were so brief it was almost like you were recalling a very impactful dream like uh, scenes of like dreamy scenes because they like whizzed by so quickly whereas this was like here's a two-page description of what it's like to gut a deer and like (laughs) what it's like to do it while you're drunk and then what it's like to like cut your finger while you're gutting a deer drunk and so you're just getting this like Oh, this is so gross, and I'm just living in it, and it's it's in real time. It feels like yeah. And Kristen told me because mm-hmm. she because she also did this podcast. It was on this podcast, sure. Um, it was wonderful that so much of her research was going onto message boards, basically, mm-hmm. because there are so few forums for women to talk about the visceral act of taxidermy. Oh, interesting. And so she really tried to listen to the way people were talking about it. Yeah. And uh, didn't actually have to like have her hand wrist deep in like entrails. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, very gross. I don't think I would enjoy that. No. What did I read? I read. Oh, and I read um, John Hodgman's upcoming book, which you're going to talk to him. I, but I, that was just delightful. Yeah. I like. I'm a long, long time fan of John's writing and 
and comedy. And I, I was even a fan of his literary agenting. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I go back that far. You really got me with your John Hodgman <laughs> hipster cred. <laughs> but he, I love his, He he's so... <laughs> he describes it in the book as like the comedy of extreme privilege, I think. Yes. But in addition to it, ab- above his kind of um, snobbish affect or his like yeah. um, his kind of curt pretentious affect that he puts on for humor, mm-hmm. he there's such a deep generosity to Aww. his comedy and like a, a desire to be understanding of his own privilege and generous to people in all circumstances. Like I think his, on his podcast, he's talked a lot about like life is too short to spend. Like he, there's a bad movie night episode of his podcast, about Mm -hmm. like my friend wants me to watch bad movies with him. And basically it's just like, there are so few movies that are so delightful in being bad. And it's so, so many movies like life's too short to waste time hate watching basically is like right. something that I gleaned from him. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Like why hate not reading is the same way. Yeah. Why not seek out the things you love, which might take a little more vulnerability and a little more effort rather than just finding the kind of things that don't meet your expectations and shitting on them. And I think there's like such a great um empathy and generosity in his comedy that he masks by being kind of curt and playing a deranged billionaire on television. Yes. Uh, but it's so wonderful. And I, it's called, um, uh, medallion status and it's, it comes out in October and I, we, you, you had a galley and I stole it and read it on vacation. Yeah. yeah. I have uh, it back now. Yeah. And I, I started Gia Tolentino's book trick mirror and it was so good and insightful that it like ruined a full day of my life. <laughs> That it I got just, in your head. Yeah, it yeah. really did. It, and it, it like ruined my day, which is like an extreme recommendation. Yeah. And it's just like she just like sees things and exceptionally well and then says them. It feels like exactly as well as she sees them. And it's ruinous because so many things are bad. And then I have to try to pep talk you yeah, and then that true. gets dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, I just don't want you to be upset. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes good art does that. That's true. That's true. Shall we end this by do a busy song? Should we do a busy song? Yeah, of course. Do you have a favorite that we should do? We were do we came up with a new one, right? This this week. Oh yeah, what was that? I forget. Oh. It's pretty fun though. What's a classic? One of the cause there's a couple that I feel like I think about all the time because I do them on stage. Oh yeah. But there's what's a what's one that I don't? A pug is a dog who knows she's fly. Oh, yeah. She's also known as a barker. Mm-hmm. Always talking about what she wants, and she'll sit right on your lap. Oh, oh, oh I like all the pugs. <laughs> pug is a dog who can get Some a snug love, from oh, you. Yeah. I mean, I love it. pug snug. Yeah, it's right there. It's right there. I love it. <laughs> Everybody listening, thank you. Um, please buy my husband's book. <laughs> yeah, please, please buy her husband's book. That's me. <laughs> and it's um, and find me. It's I'm doing a bunch of live events. Check me out at joshgondelman.com. Thank you so much. Thank for- you, Marius. What a pleasure. I love this podcast, and it was such a pleasure to be <laughs> interviewed on it. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.